Welcome back to episode 43 of Blackburn T-Shirt. I'm still Chris and you are still... Uh, and I'm still Nikki, as far as I'm aware. Good. By you, I obviously meant the person sat in the room with me while recording, not you with our rambling in your ears. Uh, we are talking about the discography of Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs this time around. First part we uh, talked about, we've been going chronological, so we talked about Fever to Tell, Show Your Bones... And It's Blitz, which was my number one. Uh, Fever to Tell was Nikki's number one. So kind of the high points are out of the way. But Not some, for me. But Not some of me. the most... Well, some of the... Well, no, I mean our top tops, our highest points. But um, our uh, uh, the two, two very interesting conversations going to happen here, I think, with these two albums that we've got yet left to cover. Yeah. Um, so... What better way to start than with our I'm going to be kind and say fifth favourite Yeah Yeah Yeah's album, Mutually. Uh, yeah, I think we're both in agreement on this one. Although um, you may feel slightly stronger than I do, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it is, it's 2013's Mosquito. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, this is one of the ones like with It's Blitz that I had never heard before. I didn't even, I'll be honest, know that this album existed before we were listening for this. Um, and so... This was my first experience of discovering the artwork. Oh, yes. I thought we might talk about the artwork. Features a strange Pixar-style CGI kind of um, image of a giant mosquito. (laughs) uh, Sticking its appendage from its face into a uh, young child's bottom. Whilst holding some jar of green something that has YYY on it. And the child also has this green stuff around its mouth and seems to be in some pain. It's oh, memorable. and the mosquito is doing like a fist, like a grrr. I, I mean, yeah, go Yeah, on. I don't remember there being quite as much controversy around it as there was. Um, and then I sort of Googled it and... Yeah, people really hate this artwork. Yeah, I do, and I can see why <laughs> it's not promising. Um, it, it, what it, do, I think the thing for me is what it doesn't scream is a band that are taking anything remotely seriously, which doesn't have to be a bad thing. But, but I think that was sort of the point of this album, wasn't it? Because yeah, and I mean, you say that. I, I suppose I say that, and yet the previous album was just a photo of Carano's hand squeezing an egg. So. But in, you know, in researching this album, they do describe it as deliberately playful. Okay, yeah. And, like, yeah, the, the font is, like, something out of a comic book and things. It's, a, it's a, a, a Korean artist, a South Korean artist, and I didn't make a note of the name. I did read about them. Yeah. But search it, you'll find it. I've actually found a quote from Karen O. About the artwork. In response yeah. to the controversy around the artwork. Um, and she said, we don't have fans because we do what they want us to do. We have fans because we do whatever we want, and that's really what they want the most. It's basically it, saying I don't give a shit yeah. what people think about the artwork. Which... Yeah, if you like it, you're a fan of this album, and if you don't, then you're not, kind of thing, or of the album's artwork, as it were. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, first listen through to all the albums, first time listening to this, and actually I thought it was going to be quite high up for me because it was the one that had some songs that really grabbed me much more immediately than anything on its blitz did 
Interesting. Um, but on on proper listen through <laughs> it's again, it's not subtle, is it? No, it's not subtle. And on, on on proper listen through, I think that's what on initial listens I didn't like about it. But it's like I said, it felt like it went into the background a bit because I was doing other things at the same time. It was t- took sitting down and properly listening to it to appreciate it. Whereas I feel like this one uh, was the complete opposite. Sitting down and actually properly concentrating on it meant I got a bit bored, and there wasn't actually as much to it. It was a bit more superficial in some ways. Yeah. I'm not sure boring is the word I'd use. I think it's just a bit messy. Yeah. It's a bit all over the place. It's kind of fun. It's kind of trippy. It's interesting. You've got you've got um, Nick Lawney back on production with Dave Sitek, who we talked about last time. He did a lot of the, the Nick Cave stuff and the Idols album and all that stuff that we mentioned. So it's the first album, the only album, that where, where they've had two, two albums the only producer team that they've worked with two albums in a row um, but it sounds very different to its splits yeah completely different I'd say so she yeah I've got a quote from Karen O as well about the album itself sort of saying that they deliberately wanted it to be extremely lo-fi um, she said uh, we had a shitty drum machine a shitty sample keyboard tons of delay on the vocals and that was basically it a real tone and character and style so basically I think it was an attempt to strip things back again yeah, which I'm not sure it achieves. No, I don't think it does. Especially with what I think is the standout song and is one of my, actually has become one of my favourite of their songs, I think, is The Opener Sacrilege. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. It's, it's an incredible song. That got, like, I'm sorry, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's with a gospel choir. Yeah. Is, who knew that that would be as amazing as it is? Um, especially like as it just goes to the outro and it's just the gospel choir doing the chorus on their own. Like... It's it's really special that I think it's really really cool, and but then problem is that's the opener and then nothing quite um, equals that peak for the rest of the album. No, I, I would say Sacrilege is definitely the standout. Um, yeah, I think it's up there with some of Yeah's best songs. But you're right, it kind of goes downhill from there. Yeah. I mean, I think Mosquito is a pretty good song. Yeah, there are rather good ones here. Mosquito is my number three. It's quite repetitive though, and the yeah. lyrics aren't great. As with quite a few songs on this album, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, and again, it feels like almost a, a Fever to Tell style chorus with that one as well. That's I'll Suck Your Blood line being repeated. The way she delivers that feels quite a Fever to Tell. Um, I also thought there was something a bit, uh, The Clash, with again, there's something that they use quite a lot on this album is a sort of almost dub reggae style vocal production with all that delay yeah. and things. Um yeah, it's an interesting one, that. Bit of that going on, bit of new wave in the bass. So, yeah, I think with with your, what you were saying about being all over the place, I think that occurs with some of the influences that come in as well. They seem to just be throwing a lot of different styles at it. Trip-hop, I got a little bit in Sacrilege as well. There's like a trip-hoppy beat going on in the verses. It's, But, I, I mean, I'm reading through that and those, all those things I pointed out just in the first... Yeah. In those two songs. You're just listing all the genres. They've just gone, let's throw everything and see what comes out. And it turns out what comes out is something that's not quite as good as any of those things, really. I think they're clearly having fun. Yeah. But I don't know whether that makes it particularly fun for people to listen to. No, I think I think a word I've used a lot is patience. I think it requires patience. Mm. I think a big part of it is some of the songs just go on for too long as well actually like track two subway is actually quite a cool, quite a cool song it's quite understated atmospheric it starts and ends with the sound of the new york subway it samples the subway on the subway yeah, yeah which is very cool but 
it goes a little on bit a on bit. the nose, I would say. And, it, but... and you know, it's it's five minutes long and doesn't really progress in that five minutes. So by the time it's got to the end, it's just kind of a bit like an interesting choice for track two, especially. Yeah. There's a there's also as a standout highlight. There's also a standout worst track for me here. Interesting. Which What's... I'm guessing isn't for you particularly. Do you have a worst? Uh. I have quite a few worst. Mm. So not not a big. I don't have. Like I, I do. Yeah, I don't okay. have one that's. So the guest rap on is it buried alive? Yeah. I could see what they were trying to do, but it just didn't work for me. I put exactly the same. So it's it's. I mean, unfortunately, it's it's Doctor Octagon, otherwise known as Cool Keith, like in various different things, like an old school kind of legend of rap. Yeah, who um, is this guy? Because I've never heard of him. Really? No. Oh, okay. Just, he's just, you know, he's been around since... He's cool Keith. Yeah, he's cool Keith. You know, he's cool. With a K, obviously. Oh, okay. Um, that makes him extra cool. But he, um, yeah, I just put it doesn't quite work for me. Feels like, Because he's an old school rapper, I suppose, as well, it, it kind of feels a bit old-fashioned and tokenistic. Like they've tried to bring that in as a way of sort it of doing feel... something a bit different. It, it was a very kind of, I felt, look at us kids moment. A little bit of that and a little bit like... Yeah. An indie rock band getting in a rapper often feels like they're trying to bridge a gap somewhat and and not succeeding in doing that. It almost just makes... I don't know, it almost feels like it's highlighting the difference rather than bridging it, unless yeah. it's done really well. But I think they clearly are influenced by these kind of bands. Oh, yeah. And it's just, they're trying to celebrate them, I think, mm-hmm. and really showcase their influences, but... Definitely. Like, I, I remember saying, the, 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 the one I can remember having a similar comment about was an R.E.M. song. They've done it twice. One in quite an early album and one on a much more recent one. And I, and I remember, I can't remember which one it was now, annoyingly, but I remember one of those working really well and the other being feeling exactly mm. like this does, of just being a bit like, yeah, I can see what, why you've done it. Yeah. And I'm sure it was genuine, but it hasn't come well, across. You know, obviously on the next album, there's an example of a guest vocalist that works incredibly much, much well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I feel like maybe this album was just done for them and mm. that's fine it's just a bit of a shame it doesn't yeah entirely work um but it does have one of my other favorite yeah yeah songs on it which mm-hmm. is despair cool it's not in my top three actually um i just think it's an incredibly joyful song about depression yeah and it is i mean it's the other single so they obviously thought so too um yeah i, I did say it's clear to see why it was a single it's kind of uh, one of the few on here that's got that more um, that immediacy and that kind of passion straight away. You don't really have to find it or be patient for I it. I do think it builds though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that. Me- it's got yeah. It's got that good mix of, of the melancholy and the sort of urgency. Just I think. the kind of vibrancy of the ending, mm-hmm. and I think her vocals on it are great. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, interesting. This is someone else who you're much more of a sort of active fan of than me uh james murphy of lcd sound system co-produced buried alive yeah <laughs> what were you thinking james you wouldn't have known no would you really i don't think i mean there, there is a bit of an lcd sound system feel to it i think but again i've just put about that song in general with with dr octagon and james murphy involved it's like it sh- with a lineup like that you'd expect something much more enjoyable i think um Area 52 before Buried Alive is my standout worst because I just think it's crap. 
Yeah, I have I have that down as one just of my worst. As weird well. throwback rock and roll novelty song. Just just shite. Don't know why it's there. Weird. My, my have you so your is your your favourite sacrilege as well? You said despair is one of your tops. Um, Anything else? Sacrilege and despair are kind of joint. Yeah. Uh, favorites. Um. I do really like Wedding Song. I don't think it quite reaches the heights of their previous closing tracks. No, I like I've put that it's another cool closer, but it fizzles out. Yeah, it just doesn't really go anywhere. It's very sweet, um, and it's a song that Karen O sang to her husband at their mm, wedding reception. Okay. So I don't think we can Hence say anything. The title. Yeah, I don't think we can say anything too bad about it. Um, and yeah it's sort of I mean it doesn't really fit on this album it's interesting I didn't realise that because I had the last thing I've said about it is that I think it's the most genuine and human that this album has sounded yeah which makes sense if that's kind of what it was written for again the trip hop things come up I thought the bass intro is very massive attack yeah that's a good point actually yeah there's not a lot to talk about other than one of my other favourite ones always I just thought it was sort of cool but barely registered with me until it was nearly over that it had really been playing yeah again um, I can't not sure no. I can even remember how that goes to be honest so that's no. not a great sign These Paths kind of hypnotic electronic track which I really like it's called manipulated vocal going on it's like digitally altered and Under the Earth there's another like organ sound again more dubby stuff going on yeah goes on a bit um but in between those two is my number two which is slave really really enjoyed that one yeah, yeah. i've no idea what that intro sound is it's like some kind of possessed dog toy uh but i really like the like again more sort of dub reggae bass and vocals subtle dance beat and then there's a really cool guitar line that comes in after about a minute um, and the drums sort of build it's one that does build up like extra things start coming in and building up and it sort of gets quite it's an analogy I've used quite a lot before but like I like songs that sound like a runaway train that might fall off the tracks at any minute I feel like it gets that going man that's pretentious yeah <laughs> but it is that's, that's the kind of feeling I get from it it's got a men- momentum but not doesn't feel too calculated it feels like they're just going with it yeah I I, I like I like Under the Earth I I probably need to listen to slave is it slave or slaves slave yeah to kind of get what you're talking about yeah fair enough but i'd be lying if i could say i can remember how it goes well there which we is go. kind of an indicator but I, but but sacrilege is the only one i can properly remember he's just reading off his notes yeah that's why you... i make him otherwise i've got bloody clue once you're to think he's clever no this is but this is this but this is why it's my bottom album yeah sacrilege is the only one that i can straight away I can hear it in my head the others I can kind of remember the feeling I got from them but I can't remember how they actually sounded a feeling of confusion yeah ultimately <laughs> uh, yes it's been a bit of a whistle stop whistle stop tour of uh, Mosquito there but you know it's it's both of our least favourite for a reason I suppose which is that it just hasn't particularly connected and didn't with a lot of people I gather really no I think it. yeah it's kind of pretty universally seen as their weakest album i think i mean mm. i don't think it's atrocious no 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 this is it by by i think certainly by the standards of some albums that i've talked about doing this podcast before it's by no means a bad album um it's just not quite up with the 
heights of their others. And it's it? definitely, you know, it's it's a bold statement. Um, it's the AAS kind of throwing everything mm. at an album, and you know, not not quite succeeding. But and again, a band a band that have never been afraid of, or have rather have actively made a point of throwing everything out the window and trying again with a different sound. Uh, still doing that. Yeah, you know, if, if nothing else, there's that to respect about it that they haven't just gone right. Let's do another album full of heads will roll or something similar. Like they've had plenty of successes at this point that they could have fallen back on. Oh yeah, they could have done that so easily. I mean, it splits <clears throat> was a huge success from what I gather. I mean, it's def- mm. definitely critically anyway. Yeah. So it would yeah it would have been so easy just for them to do a carbon copy of that, and I. I didn't realise that this actually only came out four years after it splits. Yeah. I, for some reason, thought there was a bigger gap just because it sounds so different. But, but I also think that at that age and when you're that into music and things, I, I feel I think gaps between albums feel longer than they actually are sometimes. I'm trying to think of, so Nikki's two, what, like two and a half years younger than me. So 2009 is the equivalent in terms of my music listening and stuff of between 2006 2007. I remember the gap between albums then feeling like much longer than when it actually was when I go back and look now of bands that you're actively a fan of and waiting for new yeah, stuff. Yeah, because they were pretty consistently releasing albums, yeah. weren't they? Um, well, yeah, you've got four years um, since It's Blitz, which was three years. Yeah, three years after Show Your Bones which was three years after Fever to Tell so it was pretty standard pretty um, steady going all through there wasn't it and yep. then <laughs> yeah and then nearly ten years nine and a half years yeah. basically do you think like do you think most people have just assumed they were done um I don't think so just because they did do like occasional live dates um, okay. during that time um, so they never kind of went away completely and Karen O did a lot of yeah. other projects so I don't know I kind of I kind of felt that they would come back at some point okay um, yeah so we had we had like the wilderness years here didn't we where so things that stick out to me that I was aware of anyway being Karen O's um, collaboration with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for their immigrant song cover yeah. For what was the film? Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I remember. Which is brilliant. Yeah, I remember loving that when I heard that. Um, I remember at that point not actually realizing who Karen O was. I think. Really? Well, because I didn't know. I wasn't a big fan of Yeah I knew Yeah Yeah I didn't really know names of anyone in the yeah. in the band. That's I knew mad. I recognized. I knew I recognized the name, but I didn't know why. Yeah. How can you know Yeah Yeah and um, not know who Karen O know. is? Well, I know because well, I would have recognized her face or whatever, but not like the name. Yeah. Um, insane dragon woman insane dragon woman insane mirror face lady essentially yeah Um, so all I've really been aware of in in those wilderness years was that and I think 2019 I might be wrong album with Danger Mouse which is also really really good Lux Prima is that what we said which yeah it's fantastic I remember absolutely loving that when that came out and I think there's a bit of that um on this album as well kind of that sound yeah so by this album we mean last year 2022's Cool It Down uh, can I also give a shout out to Karen O I think it it was under the 
Karen Owen the Kid's name. Right. Um, her soundtrack to Where the Wild Things Are, Spike oh, Jones's Where the Wild Things Are. I forgot she um, did that. Who I now know she was romantically involved yeah. with at one point, which I didn't know before doing this podcast. I, I mean, that I read that somewhere. It might have just been internet <laughs> bullshit. You're just so, gossiping. You know, who knows? Who cares, really? No, um, I, but it kind of make it kind of you know makes sense because they've worked together yeah. a lot. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, it no, brings a very youthful energy. It it makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's I don't think it's a pairing you would have necessarily thought of getting Karen O to do a a soundtrack to where the wild things are, but it makes a lot of sense. Actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. You definitely think a lot more of this album than I do, it seems. Yeah, I absolutely love this album. So it's your number two? Yeah. And my number four. I mean, I'll I'll just say straight away, I think my biggest thing with it, two things kind of... My first thing is I have a similar, at the moment, sort of feeling towards it and opinion of it as Mosquito in terms of it only having a couple of really standout tracks for me that have stuck at this point but you've probably listened to it more than I have as well um, and my other big thing being that it's very brief after a nine and a half year gap yeah I mean part of me wishes it was longer but then I think there's something to be said for an album leaving them wanting more all that. not outstaying its welcome yeah. and also I really I couldn't pick a ba- worse song on this album because because of that um, so I'd much rather an album with shorter and uh, yeah. delivered consistently. I would, I would, I, you know, I'm generally I absolutely agree with that sentiment. I think, I think there's something about. I wonder if something about the fact that I am left wanting more is the closer. Yeah. So the closer being Mars, which I've got as my worst track for that reason. I really, think the, I'm really surprised about that. It just doesn't do anything for me. And I think it's the I think it's the weakest of their closers. I think it's it's half a song, really. It's, well, it's almost a spoken word piece, yeah. really. It's like a it's like a I think it's just under two minutes, kind of a little epilogue almost, really, isn't it? It's just kind of the little outro to the album, rather than a, a song in itself. I feel um, it just leaves me feeling like is that it a little bit? I wanted a big finish because it's mm. in other places. This album sounds bigger than they've ever sounded like it sounds massive and so I kind of wanted that once more for the end I think I just kind of found this sort of intimacy of the Mm -hmm. and it it basically like I said basically being a spoken word track yeah which is the side of them I said I've come to love more is that kind of intimate side of it which I don't know just didn't didn't quite grab me for some reason so for me I think it kind of marks a new chapter for them Mm -hmm. I think it would have been so easy to kind of come back with Fever to Tell part two but there's no nostalgia on this album. Not at all. And that is that is my favourite thing about it. It sounds incredibly fresh, incredibly now. When it's, I mean, it's worth saying as well that this is their most collaborative album. So um, Dave Sitek is still here, but he only produces four out of the eight tracks. You've then got some guest producers working with them mm. doing two songs each two different producers doing you've two songs you've been on wikipedia each. again haven't you i have but because i find this stuff fascinating <laughs> because it really does ch- you can hear it right so the two we've got um 
and they're too the, the, the reason I bring it up because you've said that is they are two very sort of now producers in very da- my day very down with the kids <laughs> yeah okay so you've got um, Justin Raisin I assume you say his Raisin. name I assume you say his name like the fruit he does so the first one he does is Fleas absolute banger I mean yeah so that song uh, is sort of co-written and, and produced by him also has synths from Money Mark, known for his work with Beastie Boys post-1992. Oh, amazing. Um, incorporates elements from, like, has, like, sampled bits from um, ESG's 1981 song Moody, who are a New York band that she references in the yeah. lyrics. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of all this New York stuff kind of just subtly going on in the song. It's which I such a really danceable cool. track. Yeah. Um, synths are incredible. It's definitely one of my highlights. If I were to have the chance to interview Carolo, I would ask the question, what does the chorus mean? Have you got the lyrics there? Yep. Fleas and me eating nuts in the leaves. That's where we dance to ESG. I, I, I mean, like I said, it's not... Her lyrics aren't something I've, all, I've necessarily been drawn to that often, but I do kind of like that she just takes a kind of slightly surrealist approach to her lyrics. It does, it's, not the, it's not ever meant to be the focus, really, is it, other than the songs where it clearly is. Generally, it's kind of more of a... She uses her voice as an instrument, almost. I mean, I'm going to sound really stupid now, but she is the main lyricist, is she? I don't think I've ever, I've ever actually I mean, bothered I don't actually to know. look this I assume, up. I assume so, just because you always kind of assume wrongly a lot of the time that the, that the singer is the lyricist but um, that's a good point I don't know I would guess so maybe they work so, together on it I mean interestingly it is, it is Dave Sitek's songs that are my favourites here I think and I feel like his four songs have a consistency in their sound which I would almost have liked a whole album of rather than the more modern collaborations they've got in there it's very weird so. that you say that because I think it is a very consistent Generally, album. yes, it is generally. But I think so. So, fleas and raisins. Other one is um, is the is closer miles. Okay. And I think they both have a fairly similar feel mm. to them, um, instrumentally. Uh, as do so different today um, is uh, Andrew Wyatt. He know he knows how to make things commercial, but in a good way. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like sound sounding like it's going to appeal, like it's going to sound modern. Because that's what they need. For a band that's been away nearly 10 years, you know, sounds have changed a lot in that time. They needed to come back and, and sound not like an old band, essentially. Um, no, and I think they've definitely achieved that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his his thing as well, Andrew White's thing, is a lot of sort of 60s and soul stuff, like influences coming in. So his other one's Burning, which I think has that all over it. Yeah. That, that's, that's definitely another highlight. Yeah. Orchestra coming in again, like uh, they had on its blitz a few times, which is always cool. Again, very catchy, very danceable, but also quite dark, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, so that, I think that's a theme of the album as well, yeah. isn't it? There is a sort of. I, I think that's know. what I love about it. It's not just a pure pop record. No, it's. It, it's There's definitely some kind of anxiety going on. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's a darkness almost in literally a nighttime kind of darkness yeah. to it. Like it's it's got that sort of you know like drive and those kind of neon. Yeah, it's a real nighttime album, I mean? isn't it? It's got it, gives, it puts those kind of images in my head. I mean, we I haven't mean, we haven't spoken about 
spinning off the edge of the world. Yeah, so another spinning? incredible spitting, <laughs> another incredible um, opener, and what a video! <laughs> yeah, and I think Karen O doing her best Mad Max impression. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it was such an amazing comeback for them because it felt so fresh and different to anything they'd done before. Yes. Yeah. And again, a mat like that synth that comes in right at the beginning is huge. Mm-hmm. Just swallows you. And I think this is an example of where a guest vocalist can really add something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love Perfume Genius, I think. He has an absolutely beautiful voice. Yeah. And I have to say, like I, I've, I've liked what I've heard of Perfume Genius, but I've never got massively into it. This is the first thing that I've heard his voice on that has made me really go, wow and sort of step back because I think because it's the contrast to what else is going on and what yeah. she's doing really makes it stand out yeah Again, I couldn't I, stop playing it when it came out no, and I think, but I think it does almost mean the rest of the album falls victim to the same thing I was saying with Mosquito I don't think for me anything quite reaches the same peak as that opener on here for me do you think it's just because it's so different to what they've done before yeah, yeah maybe maybe so it's a real shock and then Everything else kind of still sounds like that rather than recreating that shock moment, I suppose. And it's, I mean, it's a song about how she feels about young people's uh, views of climate change and things. Yes, well, I did read which that. Which is very cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I really I really like the opening three, which are all those sit produced ones, which is that, Love Bomb and Wolf. I think Love Bomb again is... This is a pattern emerging here. I think Love Bomb again is an interesting choice of second track because it is very subtle again. Well, it's very, not necessarily subtle, but it's not particularly immediate. It's one that's got a very breathy vocal from Karen and almost a Lana Del Rey style of lethargic delivery to it. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of almost speaking uh-huh. instead of singing, isn't she? I think she's obviously trying new stuff yeah. vocally on this album, which is great. Which, again, is, is part of what we've said is great about them, isn't it? Is that, that constant progressing. Yeah, but they've, they, they've really done it in the right way mm. on this album, I think. And I get what you're saying, that it's quite a brief return after so Mm. long, but it could have been so disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I will always, like, I will take that over, like, if they'd come back with an hour-long version of this. I'd much rather have this half-hour version of it than an hour-long version of it. Yeah. I feel like maybe just one or two more songs would have been perfect for me. I mean, I'm feeling like maybe I've ranked it so high just because... I'm so pleasantly surprised. So pleased and relieved. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose my, my hope would be that they don't leave it too long for another. God, no, but, I hope they don't. But who knows? Um, I mean, it's worth saying, Wolf is my second favourite. Such a good song. I mean... I know I keep saying this. They're all good. Oh, it is, but like, you've got that 80s sort of dark synth pop thing going yeah. on. And then just full euphoric dance chorus suddenly comes in. <laughs> it's like whoa where did that come from (laughs) but it's great i could just picture her spinning around in a room on her own with her mirror mask on oh i need we need to see these songs live yeah yeah i mean i can see that being a belter live like justin like yeah but again i feel like this album sounds like it needs to be seen indoors in the dark i can't picture it in a on a festival stage Ah, okay. I can't picture it having that same feel. To be honest, I'm I'm just I would just be very happy to Unless see them nighttime. in any environment. If it was nighttime it'd be alright. 
<laughs> I think I think the last time I saw them was nearly fifteen years ago. So wow. would that have been that reading? Did you see them at one of their own gigs at all? So I I think I saw them a couple of times when it's Blitz came out. Okay. So the first time I saw them, I said was in two thousand six. Mm, yeah. Um. I think that's still the only time I've ever seen them. Yeah. Was that reading performance. So I saw I saw them. I th- I'm pretty sure they were at Reading '09. I saw them then, but I think I also saw them at Brixton, um, that year as well, which was very cool. Mm. That was when they had the, um, the eyeball balloon things. <laughs> Um, so yeah I really hope we can get to see them maybe we should just go to All Points East just for them just kind of sit back for the strokes <laughs> enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the old guys doing their thing <laughs> well I mean they they must be of similar age yeah 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 no, I, I, but, but um but one, they of had two, a comeback. one of the two bands have stayed relevant and well, the other yeah, has not well <laughs> yeah like, that, that's the thing isn't it like they had a comeback album that I don't know. I, think, I didn't. I, mean, I didn't listen to it really, but I heard it wasn't that well received. I mean, the Strokes are on the list to talk about one day, but I, I do think that their biggest issue is is that they've done the opposite to AES and barely progressed. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, Burning's my number three. That's my that's my top three. Is spitting off the edge of the world. Wolf Burning. Blacktop we haven't talked about, which is kind of more of the same, but not in a bad way. It's another great song. Yeah, it's the last of Sitex ones. It's got that similar. So it's got that similar feel to the opening three for me. It's sort of the most similar to Love Bomb, I think. So you got Spitting Off the Edge of the World as your number one. Did you say? Um. So I I basically had the same top three as you, but I've also got Fleas in there as an extra. Yeah. Just because I think that's such an addictive, mm-hmm. uplifting song. Um. I don't have, I don't have a worse track. Fair enough. I like them all. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean it's saying something that I picked Mars just because it was the closer, and I felt like it was a bit of a weak closer, and that was the only reason, really. So yes, like you said, could have been many things after nine and a half years, but a pleasant, a pleasant return to. Well, it's better than pleasant. A pleasantly surprising. No, not even surprising. I suppose you were probably expecting it to be great. No, I what? No, I wasn't. No, I. I mean. After Mosquito. Oh, okay, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, and you, you you wait so long for... They could have doubled down and gone, no, this yeah. is what we want to do. <laughs> and like you, like you say, like the example we gave of The Strokes, so many bands from that era would just come back and do the exact same thing. Yeah. Which is, you know, all right for some people, but a lot of people have kind of just kind of moved on and don't, you know, it, it takes a lot to, to do a kind of... A record that's completely void of nostalgia, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Because they are quite a nostalgic band for many people. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yes. Let us know if you uh, massively agree or disagree with anything we've said. <laughs> there might be some people out there that think Mosquito's the best. I'm, I mean, album. there's bound to be. This is the thing with any album like that. There's bound to be some people who who who've found something in it that other people haven't. And I am still feeling a bit sad about its blitz because I do love it. Mm. So, but that's what I went with. Uh, with this uh, reboot, if you will, of the podcast, we've put Nisha the better in the bin, but only to kind Harsh. of well, when we mix things up a little bit. So we're still going to do something similar, but it's going to be slightly different each time, depending on kind of who we've been talking about and what's going on. So uh, this episode. Off we go with Frock and or Roll. 
So, frock and or roll. We are going to be comparing or talking about our top five... Uh, now, we were sort of trying to agree on what the right phrase for this is. Most memorable, most outrageous, most... Just stand out, I suppose. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I festival festival I, stage. I wouldn't get-ups. go with outrageous because I have to say not no. all of mine are particularly outrageous. And we've done we've we've done a top five controversial outfits just in general before. So this is this is specific to on stage at a festival. Yeah. Um, For me, iconic is the right word. Iconic's but... a good word. Yeah. Whether they actually were iconic or not should have been perhaps some of these, but. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see as we as we go through them. But uh, yeah, no no suits and ties, essentially. No t-shirts and jeans going on here. Uh, well, you haven't you haven't heard mine yet. Well, I'd assume it's not especially iconic. Someone's just gone on dressed as a banker. Well, there was uh, Jarvis. That's true. That's true. Um, I can't remember what, the the year that they stepped into headline. Yeah. Glastonbury. He was wearing a in his twig- best Oxfam suit. Yeah, tweed. Yeah. yeah. Looking Fair great. Enough. Fair enough. Um, I've got three quickly to mention who I thought of but didn't quite kind of... So, someone who's not done that many, doesn't do that many festivals and things, but uh, I've I've got Björk in my sort of honourable mentions here. Only because we've talked about Björk on the podcast a lot, especially her outfits and things. But I had to give a mention to her costume from last year's Blue Dot Festival. Which... Uh... Um, <laughs> I mean, just it's Björk in a silly costume. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you really need to know. She looks a bit like a caterpillar, um, <laughs> <laughs> an inflatable caterpillar. That Although, doesn't look comfortable to perform in. Well, I can do is is beg you, dear listener, to just search Björk Blue Dot Festival 2022 yeah, and Google I images. About that. Um, yeah, it just looks like something a bird would be scared to peck at. Uh, it's, it's great. Um, also, someone else who just sprung to mind and is, isn't kind of iconic in their festival stage get-up, but is a festival stage staple and always looks like they've just been attacked by a primary school's costume cupboard, uh, and that is Eugene Hutz of Gogol Badello. I've got one particular picture to show Nikki here, but, uh, I mean, again, if you search him in Google Images, okay. you're just going to get a vast array of images of a man who looks like he's been dressed by... A three-year-old. Yeah, that that yeah that did not spring to mind at all. Yeah. That's quite niche. Uh, but I mean, I think the thing that that sprung to mind for was well, we haven't said the inspiration for this was Carino's stage get-ups, which are often <laughs> varied and interesting. But particularly the fact that that Reading performance we've mentioned that we both saw, um, that was the biggest thing that stuck in my head from their performance that I can still see now. I can still picture what she looked like doing that performance I think not just what she was wearing but like was there a dragon involved or was I tripping I think there was some kind of dragon head dress thing and there was like a mirror face mask thing like a mirror ball yeah face mask thing bright purple tights I think or green uh, or something yeah she does um, tend to wear headgear and then kind of sheds it yeah during and I remember the sort of very vibrant red lipstick and all that kind of do you know what I mean she always has a very vivid imagery mm. going on and I remember just being quite struck by that combined with the kind of chaotic nature of her performance I suppose um, so that's she kind is of incredible so that's been the, the sort of inspiration that's why we're doing this didn't actually mention that um, 
My other one, just because we talked about it a lot at the time and it's quite recent, but something that Nicky and I both saw in person, which was um, Kendrick Lamar at Glastonbury last year. Oh, nice. Just, I just remember standing there in a the field and being really struck by the imagery of when his um, like metal crown of thorns starts bleeding down his face. Yeah, I was going to say, you think about that moment particularly. Yeah, I just remember that being a really striking moment. Um, in terms of the imagery of it. So I had to give that a mention again. Um, particularly in the context of what he was kind of rapping about at that point yeah, and things. That was very cool. So, yeah, yeah that, what a great they're, performance they're, that was as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they're the ones that haven't quite haven't quite made my top five. But uh, would you like to start us off with your number five pick? Yeah, so my I have to say that most of mine are from Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. Just because... I mean, it's one of those that's most in, in our consciousness from watching on TV or being yeah, there. Yeah, and, and people tend to go all out at Glastonbury, yeah. and also it's a lot easier to find yeah. pictorial evidence yeah, yeah, yeah. of outfits at Glastonbury. Uh, so my number five is Lady Gaga, Glastonbury 2009. Fine, the big triangular silver job. Yeah, but also specifically um, the moment where she spits fire out of her breasts. Oh god, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously she doesn't spit fire. No, yes, her 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 breasts. Well, she essentially has a boob flamethrower. Yes, the the disco Ramstein, if you will. But yeah, I just I that was actually quite early on in her career. It was very early, yeah. I um, think I think it was only the fame. I think it was only the first album that yeah. came out at that point, yeah. And I do remember watching that and thinking this woman is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All out. Fair enough. Um, my number five is also Glastonbury one and is also from last year when we were there. Uh, because I will forever have burned in my mind. You're good, you're... Is this going to be one of yours? Oh, I bet it is, yeah. Walking through past the stage? Yeah. <laughs> Just to see skin from Skunk and Hansi. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Wearing a neon green suit with clip rock written on the back, and what can only be described as um, some kind of massive inflatable landmine on her head. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was my number three, but oh. there we go. Well, there we go. It just shows, doesn't it, that it definitely is one of those that deserves to be there because wow, what a look. <laughs> What's your number four? So my number four is yeah, it's not a particularly outrageous outfit, but I would say to me it's iconic. It's um PJ Harvey's fuchsia uh cat suit from Glassbury nineteen ninety five. I did consider this one, yeah. She's wearing really striking green eyeshadow mm-hmm. as well. Uh the cat suit is unzipped to The midriff. The midriff, yes. <laughs> the midriff. She's yeah. wearing a great black bra. It's a very yeah. It's a very sexy outfit. That's a great band name. What? Great black bra. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously the the colour is really striking, and I think in stark contrast to the kind of music she probably would have been playing yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a real statement. And yeah. ahead of her time. Powerful like, I think... outfit for a powerful woman. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, we've got new new things from her very much on the horizon. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I did also enjoy <clears throat> her outfits from the sort of Let England Shake era, mm-hmm. where she basically looked like she permanently had a bird's nest yeah. in her hair. 
Yeah. She's had yeah, she's had some great outfits over the years. Yeah, someone else who the vi- the visual we talked about when we did the PJ Harvey episode, I think, but where the visual is definitely a big part of her album cycles. She very much sort of sees that as a big part yeah. of, of although her, recently of she's looking worryingly normal and mm, I'm like what's okay. happening to you Polly <laughs> but this could all change we'll when the album we'll comes see. out yeah. um, I've actually mentioned the artist already uh, in relation to Lady Gaga for my number four which is Ramstein <laughs> okay. they had to be mentioned uh, particularly Till's um I think he, he it was, this was a they did in 2016 they did like a f- tour of festivals essentially and download was one of those uh, so that's what my photos from but he has a massive mechanical wings that spout fire from the ends of them wonderful and it's it's a thing of beauty a real, where is this from it makes sorry? a change it makes a change for the fire coming out the tips of his wings rather than the tip of his mechanical penis so that's, oh is that a thing oh yeah that's often a thing that's that's totally fine, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Just spunk fire all over your audience. They love it. Um, yeah, sorry, what did you ask? I think he's being sarcastic. Um, what festival was this from? Did you say? Uh, download. This was Download. The, pi- we... the picture's from Download. Right. But he, he did this same thing for lots of festivals around Europe. Around, or around the world, I think, around that, in that year. But... I mean, there you know, I, there's so many I could have picked for Ramstein. It's yeah. it's all it's all BDSM and metal and fire. As you know, not really my bag, but <laughs> it sounds quite entertaining. Well, this is it. Like musically, there's things for Ramstein that I really enjoy, but a lot of it I see as quite silly and not much more than that. But I've always wanted to see them live just for the spectacle of it. Are they still? So they are still. Yeah, touring. I think um, Matt, former my old bank guitarist, he went to see them couple of years ago and um that this was the tour where uh they could only play open air stadiums because their pyrotechnics were so big that they couldn't play indoors <laughs> i think uh, that's for the best yeah probably, probably is for the best uh we've got your number three haven't we well, yeah Skin. you stole it from me so, so I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go in mind because it's not this is my most uh a non-outrageous outfit but one that when we were thinking of festival performances where the look of the performer sticks in my mind yeah why have I got a terrible feeling this is going to be one of mine or is it unlikely I don't know uh, so the festival's Woodstock 94 oh okay no we're talking a completely mud-drenched Trent Reznor ah yes um, that whole performance is, I think, still on YouTube and is just incredible to watch. And so this isn't the bad one. This is. This is no. This that was ninety nine. Well, I mean, ninety four was bad for other reasons in that it yes. just became an absolute mud fest. Like I think Green Day played and just ended up having a mud fight with the audience. Um, Nine Inch Nails played all just completely smothered in mud and all their instruments smothered in mud. Um, but it suited. This was around the time of downward spiral yes. just suited it perfectly just grime and grot <laughs> just like god yeah. he looks amazing so good what's your number two so it's glastonbury again sorry about that very <laughs> unoriginal um but my number two is stormzy glastonbury 2019 banksy vest banksy, banksy stab proof vest. vest yeah i mean 
it just thinking about festival performances in recent years like yeah. just an iconic outfit for some reason that was like the first thing that came to mind for me yeah no yeah absolutely fair enough I love I love that story was it Graham Norton or something like that that he was on where he told the story about how that came about of like Banksy basically someone that someone representing Banksy got in touch with him to say I've made you this will you wear it at Glastonbury <laughs> and he was like um, what? yes obviously <laughs> of course <laughs> uh, yeah yeah again it's such a simple idea but as, as a lot of Banksy stuff is I suppose isn't it very simple but very striking yeah I think it's in a museum now but mm. yeah I think that's going to be a memorable one for a long time mm. and just a great performance as well I've um I've kind of gone the opposite end of the spectrum in many ways for my number two. Okay. And this is the first person that came to my head when we talked about this being what we were going to do. It's Wes Borland of Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah. Again. Yeah, you have to, yeah. Like an infinite... You've definitely gone for outrageous with yours. An infinite number of choices we could have chosen here. Mm. Um, one, I've, I've seen Limp Bizkit at a festival once, which was at Sonosphere 2011. Um, which I mean, his his look was fairly memorable. Oh my god! Like jet black body paint, except the top half of his head, which was white, and then some weird <laughs> markings. Um, terrifying, really. Um, he's got the terrifying ones, and then of which there were some incredible ones. And then he's got some. Play- he seems to have these different, like repeating characters that he does, but like vary slightly. And I think this one's probably my favourite, which he's done a few times in different ways. The picture I've managed to find is one from Siget Festival in Budapest in 2015. Because I think the other photos I could find of him in this gap were from gigs rather than festivals. Yeah. Um, I don't... I don't Nick, do you want to have a go at describing this photo? Um... <laughs> is that a dressing gown? Yes. So it's like a dressing gown, smoking jacket type thing. No trousers. Long socks or like you know knee suspenders, Y fronts, uh, sort of pale, not like completely white face paint, but like paled white face paint, a drawn-on Dali moustache, some kind of boating hat. <laughs> uh, yeah, you do you, Wes. Fair. I find it so weird that he's in Limp Biscuit because it really doesn't fit with the rest of their image. I love it. I love it. I love that man just utterly doing his own thing and God bless him for it. But you must agree, he looks like he's in a completely different band. He looks like he's having a meltdown yeah. um, is what he looks like. Which I think is probably kind of the idea. It's just to keep you guessing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Had to have him in there. What's your number one? Number one. So my number one is actually uh, Kurt Cobain, Reading 1992, The Hospital Gown. Of course. Um so oh, I, I suppose, didn't even think about that. I suppose it's outrageous in a way because of what it represented. It's yeah. not, you know, it's nothing particularly like over the top, but And was it am I right in thinking it was a response to like rumours that he wasn't well and things? Yeah, and up he to was it. brought on in a wheelchair yeah. in the oh, hospital so gown. Good. Um just the image of him still wearing that while storming through their set yeah. is, is brilliant. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, an amazing performance generally. Because they had the dancer guy as well yeah. on the side of the stage the yeah. whole time. Um, so yeah, for me, that was my number one. Yeah, fair enough. Completely didn't think about it. 
I've again gone a slightly different direction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, a happy accident that I found out after choosing this person to be my number one that um, they actually were the main influence or are the main influence for Karen O's stage get-ups. Which is the... I mean, I don't even know what words to describe her that would do justice. It's Grace Jones. Again, just a a career of looking phenomenal in various ways. Um, But when looking through... Because I I, I knew, I was like, right, Grace Jones has got to to have one that's worth talking about from a festival somewhere. She doesn't do a lot of festivals, does Mm, she? Not loads. But the one that I found is just immense. Uh, so it's from Afropunk 2015 um, but on the Saturday night it's like a fancy dress ball that like has performers as well and she, she was headlining that and I mean I, I show, this is the sort of I've got one photo to show Nikki which is sort of shows the whole thing as best I could find but throughout the performance the, it kind of the costume gradually changes as she gradually sheds things so she started with this this, this huge golden skull on the top of her head. I thought it was a pineapple, mm, but... It, well, it's got big, like, yeah, big feathery headdress, big golden skull. It's on the top of her head, so it looks like it's her head because she came on originally, like, shrouded in black kind of sheer stuff, and that was her face, and she was singing through that kind of thing. Gradually sort of removed things to the point where she ended up performing in nothing but a corset that didn't cover her breasts and body paint, and that golden skull still atop her head. Uh, she was 67 at the that time. That's pretty iconic. 67 and going out there with her baps out in body paint. All power to her. Ah, uh, what a woman. Just... she's so, I just feel like she's someone who's never quite been in the like... I don't know, she's just not in like household name conversation, is she? She was in well, the, like yeah. in the 80s, I suppose. I think there's a but, wider conversation around I, why that is. Well, yeah. But I think, but I think also, like, I think it's a similar thing I'd, with um, Björk, in that she's just so out there all the time. Mm. It's very much a, she's very much an artist above anything else, rather than a, rather than someone who produces a product. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, she's someone um, I have massive respect for, but musically, like yeah. my knowledge of her is yeah. This is what I'm getting not at. Not great. This is what I'm so getting at. Yeah, exactly. I feel I need to definitely. Yeah. Um, get more into Grace Jones just as a person like anyone who at the age of 67 goes and does something as bold as that yeah deserves respect so yeah do do yourself another Google and have a and a wonderful time watching the gradual <laughs> evolution of that costume over one evening's performance uh, yeah gradual <laughs> breakdown <laughs> We're there. We're 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 at the end of episode forty-three. Just a couple of little things to do. Uh, first of all, we uh, have a gig happening. At, I say Grimheart Promotions have a gig happening on the twenty-eighth of June. It's a Wednesday. We're back at the Victoria. Uh, we're putting on the London date of Let's Swim Get Swimming's uh, Two Twits tour to promote their new singles. Ooh. Uh, ooh. Um, Brighton. Mathrock duo. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Lovely in summary. Uh, they're being supported by their tour support, who they're taking out with them, which is Tokyo Toy Company, who are like a twinkly emo band, Mathrocky stuff going on as well from Bristol. 
Uh, and opening up is London's, and now we still don't know how to actually pronounce this. I really can't wait to meet them, so I'm going to ask. Uh, it's either Mount Forel or Mount Forel. I, I'm assuming Mount Forel. I don't really know. Um, F-O-R-E-L. Yeah. Um, Forel. Uh, but yeah, they they are great sort of um, psychedelic-y, mm, space-rocky, proggy, alt-rocky coolness words <laughs> you could just you know you could just go and find it yourself and have a listen I'll put them on the playlist for the episode even better you don't have to go looking there you go don't bother with my words just listen to it uh, and finally we have one thing to do so something that's changed is we are not choosing who we're going to cover next I was really hoping you'd forget about this no. so uh, I've spent some time it's getting a bit late Chris I think we should just Wrap up now. No, no. Spent some time uh, uploading all the different acts that have popped into my head or I've already had on a list or. Got the washing up to do. Whatever. Nikki's mentioned it as well. Uh, bands that, you know, she had an input with ones that go in there that I might have forgotten about or not thought of. It's a big old bank of artists. Uh, and we're just going to hit spin the wheel and see who comes up. Now, it's worth saying, Nikki does have the option of vetoing. If there's one that she really doesn't like, like we said before, she'll go, I'm out, I was gonna and I'll say, find someone else. I think the amount of names you put in to the amount that I put in, there's a bit of a disparity there. Yes, but I did give you the chance. <laughs> <laughs> you were just less enthusiastic about the idea than me. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not sure how this works. It's an app I've not used before other than uploading things. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna press the button. Oh. Oh, that's gonna be niche. In, gonna be interesting. It's a niche one to carry on with, but I think it's one that you'd be into. Oh, I, I like them. Yeah, there we go. It's Animal Collective. Branching out a little bit into things. I've I've put some more niche ones in there. That's the fun of it, you see? That's the fun of it. Uh, no, I do like them. I'm just I'm just not sure many of our listeners will. Well they're better buck up their ideas don't they or I'll get new listeners that's the, that's the advantage of this smaller number of listeners easier to replace yeah not massively different fan bases from yeah yeah no, actually no I, th- I think I think it'd be an interesting one and if it's a band that you don't think you know much about then you know listen and learn something I will be I only know one of their albums probably is guess which one, one it is the, is it the one with the jam on the cover the jam yeah strawberry jam maybe it's very colourful. Uh, yeah, I think it's a different <laughs> album. I think okay, you'd so. know if it was... Anyway, uh, join us in episode 44 for Animal Collective. There we Woo! go. We'll uh, get researching on my half. <laughs> see, see you soon. Bye. Bye.